Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. One of the things that the community has asked us for is helping connecting them with like-minded faith-driven investors. We're in the process of launching Marketplace, a new platform to present your venture and connect with like-minded investors that are serious about honoring God as you are. Everything from philanthropic to market rate deals, from here in the U.S. to emerging markets. Check it out at faithdriveninvestor.org forward slash marketplace. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Never compromise safe because you go out on line crew and you become a journeyman. Maybe you've been doing it for 10, 20 years and you've been doing it a certain way and you've been very comfortable. That can be a lot of times the biggest danger is getting too comfortable and you skip steps. There's enough safety involved right now currently that um, individuals can have a very long career in this, 30 years, 40 years to doing this type of work, but you cannot overlook the safety. You cannot take shortcuts. And so that's one of the things that we, again, try to you know, drill into the students is don't get too comfortable because uh, it, it can only take one mistake to cost your life. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Rusty. We trust you're having a fantastic week. You know, if you're a fan of Mike Rowe's television show, Dirty Jobs, and who isn't, then I think you're going to like today's episode. While working on the telephone poles isn't exactly a dirty job, it's a high-risk, challenging, and technical one. And today's guests are going to tell us all about it. David Powell and PJ Nardi own and operate the Southeastern Lineman Training Center, where they lead the premier training school for apprentice line worker training. Their job is so interesting and unique that it has its own show on Amazon Prime called Woodwalkers. But before you set down this episode and tune into their show, you'll want to hear their story for yourself. Henry? David and PJ, excited to have you both on the show. Thank you for joining. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So before we get into Southeast Lyman Training Center, Woodwalkers and everything in between, love to get an overview of your personal stories. PJ, let's start with you. What led you to do the job you've got now? And where did your faith kind of come alongside in this story? Sure. I guess I'd like to say my faith started as, you know, coming from a big Italian Catholic family. Didn't really know what my faith was, but I knew the reverence. I understood reverence and the blood sacrifice. And so that had always been in the back of my mind as I grew and kind of thought my way going into college and so forth. And was home from college one weekend and was invited to a church that my sister had been attending and my mother and went over the weekend. And first time I ever heard the message taught in a uh, verse by verse, scripture by scripture manner. And it absolutely made me realize that it could be applied to, you know, everyday life. And Soon after, I um, you know, accepted the Lord and unfortunately didn't have a, a real strong group around me. So it was a number of years that I ended up trying to figure out what the walk looked like. And I got brought into a small church under a, a pastor who was at the next stage of life of myself and spent a lot of time with he and his family. And that was really, I'd like to say, where my true faith began. That was probably around 2000. I had traveled a bit after college and ended up back in South Florida where I grew up and started a sales company in the golf industry. 
started that in about 2002. And uh, soon after, met my wife in 2003. Things were going great. It was a you know prospering time, and everybody was playing golf, and we were selling a ton of equipment to all the private clubs and the big stores and so forth. And we got a little ahead of ourselves and ended up buying a restaurant. And uh, I like to say that was my MBA because it's easy to run and manage a business when things are good. But when you purchase the business in July of 2007 and you ride it through 2008 with 31 employees, you know, one of the biggest downturns we've ever seen in our economy, it's not how well you can run a business when things are good, but how well you can keep people employed and keep your doors open when things are bad. And you know, God was with us that whole time. We managed to sell the restaurant. And not too long after that, I had the opportunity to relocate the family to just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and to become a part of what is Southeast Lyman Training Center. Thank you for that, PJ. David, tell us the same. Take us through the same type of journey for you that brought you to SLTC. Yeah, okay. So church was really a part of my life growing up. My family, I wouldn't consider, I mean, it was just kind of part of what you did, I guess, growing up in the South as you go to church. And so having an understanding of God and who he was and Jesus, and it was obviously a foundation part of my life, but I didn't understand what a personal relationship was with Christ. It was around middle school. I attended a camp, Shaco Springs in Alabama, and went forward and accepted the Lord, was baptized, but also still did not understand really what it meant to walk with Christ every day. Just didn't have a model for me, uh, what discipleship looked like or anything like that. So went off to college, did my college thing, I would attend church in college, but just never really fully committed. It was in 98. I was home for the summer between my junior and senior year, and I started going to a little small country church that I was attending in actually Orville, Alabama. You have to look at it on the map. Orville, Alabama, and you know, recommitted my life to Christ. I was going into my senior year. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I walked on and played Auburn for a couple of years and decided I was not going to do that my senior year. I was going to focus on school, but I just didn't have a path. Did you say that you walked on at Auburn to play football? I did. I did. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. No wonder William didn't jump in before when you said you were from Orville, Alabama. Usually he's all over the whole Alabama thing, but you know, I now know that you played at Auburn and, and that just disqualified you apparently. I need the backstory. Right. I'll be silent. <laughs> so that recommitment really, really changed everything for me. I went back to Auburn. I remember there was this cute girl that I just thought she was just the most adorable thing ever, but I knew she was really sold out for Christ. And I knew that the, where I was and currently in the place of my relationship with him that uh, was with God, that wasn't going to be attractive to her. It's kind of interesting. We went on like one date. I'll save you from the story. I'll share it maybe later. But when that recommitment process happened and I uh, went back to college, it was like God was telling me, you know, I've put this person in your past that is like perfect for you. I mean, the first time I met Tammy was in the gym. Um, we had a lot in common. We had a lot of classes and courses together. And so I got back and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to her. So that, you know, obviously my relationship with my current bride, that started then. I started attending Campus Crusade for Christ, which is known as Crew now, and really got on fire. I mean, I remember specifically one time going into my fraternity house and I gave my whole testimony with a bunch of guys in the fraternity house during one of our meetings and just laid it out there. You know, I just felt obligated to do that. And so graduated and Again, just really allowing God to kind of lead me. I went to work for Alabama Power Company in Birmingham, Alabama, 
and it was a, just a God story in itself, just how I ended up there. But uh, really, God just kind of laid out that path for me. Um, got it. We went to work there. Tammy, my wife, she she uh, she actually worked for Southern Company. We were at the same corporate office. Mm-hmm. We got to see each other a lot, have lunch together, yada yada yada. So at the time, the school was just a little bit of a thought, and my father-in-law and TJ's stepfather had started the school or, or just the, in the process of starting school. And so, yeah, I was working out Alabama power and I would come up here and I would see the school and I would saw the potential. And, um, and I say the potential, we were in a, a trailer, a triple wide trailer in one pole circle, but I realized working out Alabama power, I just not necessarily a country boy growing up in Northern Alabama. It wasn't really the place I wanted to be. So just, you know, the conversations with George and feeling drawn to Chattanooga, feeling drawn up here. Um, mm-hmm. He offered me a job to come up and, and go to work for him. And so that was in November of 2000. So um, it'll be 20 years next month. Wow. So tell us what Southeast Lyman Training Center does. What is it you joined? What makes it so special that I, we've seen tons of things that are special about the company is this is a part of Sovereign's portfolio. But there's something really special about what goes on there, so much so that they came up with a reality show. And I think that Rusty might get into that a bit. But what is it that you all do? Yeah, so ultimately, and I'll, I'll share and let PJ share as well on this, but um, really the mission of what we do is we have two entry-level programs. One is the electrical uh, entry-level program, and one is a communications entry-level program. One's 15 weeks. The electrical program is 15 weeks. The communications seven and really creating a pathway for individuals to enter trades. You know, when we first started, it was just the electrical line with the program. And this was really a kind of an original idea where not many opportunities for individuals to get into the trades. If you wanted to be a lineman, you typically had to go into the local co-op or know somebody in the trade. And so the industry as a whole was having a hard time filling these positions or they would hire somebody and they would quit because they're afraid of heights or didn't want to work in the elements or whatever. So that's kind of the, the reason why the school existed was to create a pathway for individuals to get them up to speed, really an intense program where they're here you know, eight hours a day, four to five days a week, and they equip them with all the skills they need to become apprentice line workers. So they're not journeymen. But it's equivalent to what it would take if a company hired somebody off the street about a year to get them to where they are in a 15-week period. So it's extremely intense, a lot of information, but they're qualified to be out there and work alongside linemen. And the communications program, again, started a little bit later than that. It's about four years old with the same premise, with the same concept of equipping individuals uh, with the necessary skills to work in this trade. So uh, Henry teased... uh us a little bit because uh, we want to talk about Woodwalkers, the Amazon Prime TV show. I think some people might be surprised that you could make a television show about people who work on telephone and electric poles. But tell us about the Amazon Prime show, Woodwalkers. How did it happen? And you know what gave you the inspiration to go do it? So we've always had to kind of market ourselves and find new ways of marketing, you know, power companies and so forth and contractors they weren't able to fill the vacancies that are being left by, you know, those that have been in the trades for so long and retiring out. So it's always been our job to fill our seats the best we could. And part of that was looking at marketing in different ways and from different avenues. And we saw that, you know, there just was a big void in uh, attracting people to the trades. Um, and 
with that kind of as one thought in our minds, we were also seeing some extensive growth at the school. And David had reached out to a gentleman who had filmed one of our rodeos, which is kind of a, a competition at the end of our graduation, and asked him to come in and see if he would just film one of our classes to see kind of what we're doing, where the school is at this snapshot in time. And um, we started filming really just kind of little excerpts and the students were asking for uh, an opportunity to see what we were filming. And we decided on Sundays, we'd put out a little five minute segment and we named it Elevated the Story of the Woodwalkers. Yeah. So PJ and I, you know, the conversation we had is that the students that were coming here, there's some amazing stories that come out of these students, that come from the students. And as PJ mentioned, the growth of the school, you know, we really originally were like, we wanted to document some of these stories because they were amazing. I mean, you know, we've had everything from ex-cons to ex-pro baseball players, motocross riders. I mean, it's just really a unique, you just never know who's going to come and walk through these doors and come to school. And we also had seen stories of individuals that had sold vehicles, sold homes, slept in their cars. You know, we didn't find out until later on the program. We're like, we're going to put you up in housing, but they're sleeping in their vehicles to pay, you know, to be able to come to school here. We wanted to document that and catalog that, you know, because we wanted to save it. Initially it was for us. And then when we got into it, as PJ mentioned, it really turned into much more than that. So we'd put these segments up and within about four weeks, we noticed we had 50,000 views on YouTube. So we realized that, okay, there's an interest here. So we sat down with that individual and we started talking about what's the bigger picture for this. And as we were discussing the opportunity to make this into a television show or a web series, we should say, and we were looking at funding and we went to our manufacturers that we purchased from and asked them if they'd be interested in sponsoring this new concept. And I think cautiously, they all said yes, because they didn't want to risk not getting orders from us anymore. <laughs> but it actually turned out to be a benefit to them as well. And I guess having that entrepreneurial mindset, we looked on and said, well, you know, this looks like a whole new business venture. So we uh, founded a company uh, at that moment called Super Chief. It was a spinoff of our entire marketing department. And Super Chief's responsibility was all of the marketing for the school, as well as shooting this, this show that would become Woodwalkers. And in turn, we started handling a lot of the social media for these companies that were sponsoring the show. So Woodwalkers took about a year to film, to edit, and to produce, and then to shop to some of the networks. It was originally launched on American Heroes Channel, which is the Discovery Network. And then we migrated over to Amazon and launched our second season just recently. And um, season three is in production right now. So it's been an interesting journey. You know, companies were formed out of it. We were able to employ more people and elevated the story of the Woodwalkers stemmed from one of our other companies, Elevated Gear, which is our retail, kind of a glorified bookstore. We also do some retail in the industry of the tools and equipment. Elevated meaning, obviously, of the nod to the Lord and also the heights that these uh, line workers are working at. That's very cool. So you mentioned a couple of those stories. Can you give us a couple that just stand out for both of you or maybe, you know, favorite parts of an episode that uh, we want to make sure that our listeners go tune in and watch? Yeah. So in season one, um, one of the stories that really stuck out to me was Michael Robertson. Michael was a local individual who lived really not too far from the school. And he was actually renting a place from a friend of ours. And really had, looking to start his life over. I mean, he had given his life to Christ, had a young family, had two kids and a wife, and just were looking for a, a new pathway. 
And so this gentleman reached out to us and said, Hey, you know, do you have any open slots? I'm looking to sponsor Michael. And we were able to get him into the program. And so, you know, you just get to see his story and his story and his testimony are powerful. Um, just again, him coming to Christ and the redemption for him and his family. And it was just, it's been amazing. And he ended up graduating and going to work for a local uh, utility, uh, EPB in Chattanooga. He's done extremely well. So that was one from the season one. And then season two, Dustin Fritz grew up in foster care. I think his mother uh, had said he was placed 17 different times in foster care. Just a lot of challenges um, that he faced. And he ended up doing so well here that he won our most outstanding award, our SLIM. We call it the William Wister Haynes SLIM Award. So another movie about the industry, uh, SLIM, you can watch it when you have time. But yeah, just the fact that he was the best of the best, despite all the challenges he had faced, was really was just a powerful story. That's great. Talk to us a little bit about it. I mean, we, I think we take it for granted, right, that these guys, you know, shimmy up these poles and then they do, you know, that work up there. I mean, this is not easy work by any means, and it's dangerous, right? Well, it is dangerous. And I mean, that's the business is danger mitigation. It's what we teach. But you're absolutely right. It is the first responder position. Generally, you know, a fire department, if they're on call for a house fire, a business fire, they're not going to start until the power has been disconnected. You know, if uh, there's an accident and somebody hits a pole and it goes down, they won't start to treat or tend to those individuals until the area is secure. And then, of course, you look at the storms that, you know, this year, the Gulf Coast has just gotten hammered. Louisiana has gotten hammered, and we've seen a lot of our graduates, you know, making multiple trips down to those areas. So, yes, especially when you go into these storm situations and wires are down and poles are down and everything is a potential hazard, teaching them what to look for, what to avoid, and the steps to take to make sure that they don't injure themselves or somebody else is what we teach all day long. It is not a job for everybody, like David spoke about. You know, you've got couple aspects to overcome. You've got the heights, climbing at heights. You've also got, you know, working inclement weather. You've got working with energized power lines, which we'll get into in the third and fourth year. And then from then on, and, you know, like we say, the power doesn't go out when it's 72 and sunny, it goes out when the weather's inclement. And those are the conditions that these men and women are working in. Yeah. This career is not one that you can make any mistakes. Sometimes you can only make one mistake. And so safety is critical. And one of the challenges that what we're trying to do too here is instill in these students that never compromise safety. Because you go out on line crew and you become a journeyman. Maybe you've been doing it for 10, 20 years and you've been doing it a certain way and you've been very comfortable. That can be a lot of times the biggest danger is getting too comfortable and you skip steps. There's enough safety involved right now currently that um, individuals can have a very long career in this, 30 years, 40 years doing this type of work, but you cannot overlook the safety. You cannot take shortcuts. And so that's one of the things that we, again, try to you know, drill into the students is don't get too comfortable because uh, it, it can only take one mistake to cost your life. David and PJ William here. So good to be with you guys. I think I'm the only one I've just had the fortunate experience to come on site and for those that maybe can't see it, I know we're going to link to some of your amazing videos, but you drive into Trenton, Georgia, and then all of a sudden rising out of the horizon, you see three, 400 giant poles sticking out of the ground. And you see these people climbing up and down and just this fury of activity. And it's just breathtaking. And then, you know, the rodeo you mentioned, I got to come to one of those. And to paint the scene of that, that's the graduation where they show off the skills they've learned over 16 weeks. And 
family members and friends fly in from all over the place to come to this. Thousands of people sitting there watching these young men and women show off their new skills, their new life, everything that SLTC provides for them. And the most outstanding award, probably one of my favorites, uh, watching the graduation where uh, they all come out to ACDC blaring, which is pretty awesome. And I have a short video of that that I'm happy to share with everybody. And the energy in the room of people getting a new life, a new outlook on the world that they did not have just 16 weeks ago. And you come out with no college debt, you pay it off very quickly. It's one of the rarest moments of my life. Uh, and I'm just thankful that you guys did to do this. I got to sit back and see lives change, hundreds of lives change in an instant. And uh, so I'm just grateful for the work you do. Uh, and I know the young men and women are. And it's funny as I watch Woodwalkers, uh, I'm sure you've probably gotten this a lot. It's got some semblance to Mike Rose, Dirty Jobs. Of course, that's a different show. But the big thing it does is it shines the light on the dignity of the work of people that are often overlooked and who often may go without that from the human race. Maybe God sees that in them and they have to find that power a little more than some other people. But could you talk about how giving that dignity and respect to people, how that sort of motivates you to keep building the business? Because the growth's amazing. You now, you said one pole circle over, David. Now you have 20 and it's just growing and and just impacting more lives. Could you maybe walk us through uh, a little bit of how that motivates you all to keep driving towards the next goals? Yeah, so everybody wants a purpose, right? I mean, we look for that purpose in life. I'm not a lineman. PJ is not a lineman. But we absolutely love the stories. We love to see. I mean, it's, again, it's kind of what birthed Woodwalkers. It's what gets us up every single day and drives us. We want to be here because exactly what you said, we see the lives that are changed. You know, we're giving an individual, like some of the stories, some of the students that have come to us. I mean, this, this is their... Sometimes their last chance, and sometimes it's uh, the first chance. Sometimes they're just graduating uh, high school and they've never been away from home. And we have such an opportunity to make a lasting impact on their lives and giving them a skill set that, guess what, won't go overseas. It's always something that they have, and it's a trade, it's in demand, they can provide for their families. It is so fulfilling. And when we get those emails, you know, we send those out to the staff. The staff, that's our paycheck. I mean, that truly is what drives us, is to see the results that come from, you know, what we do day in, day out. And here's the thing, too. Like, I think what makes it even more gratifying is, like, we're not just equipping them with skills. Like, our ultimate purpose and goal is to give them true life skills, to true impact them in every possible way that we can. And I would say faith, family, fitness, and finance, right? So we really want to make sure that they leave here. And yeah, they can do the work. That's got to happen. But how are they as employees? How are they as fathers or mothers? How are they as sons and daughters? You know, what are they going to do? I mean, after about five years, and this is just rough estimation, but probably 50% of our students might be doing some other type of career path. Might not be in line work. So the 15 weeks that they're here, how do we impact them? And so it never gets old. Every graduation, every rodeo, every story, it never gets old. It's given us purpose. It's given us fuel. Yeah, like David said, we focus on the whole person, not just the career path of that individual. From even our curriculum, you know, we do a basic finance course for them based on biblical principles. 
we do a career planning and strategies course for them, showing them different paths they can go to within or without the utility industry, their focus. We do certain certifications that will allow them to utilize those in a variety of skill sets or career paths outside of the utility industry if they choose to do that. So David's point, it's focusing on the whole person. You know, we know that God's entrusted us with a lot of influence over a whole lot of young men and women, and we just want to be faithful and responsible with those opportunities that we've got and extremely intentional. All of our staff are, I wouldn't say bought in, but they truly believe in the transformation that they're seeing before their eyes with these individuals as well, Uh, either from the parents that said, you know, I dropped off my son 15 weeks ago and you gave me back a man or, you know, the individual that said this was my last opportunity. I didn't know what I was going to do if this didn't work out. And to come alongside them and to hear those stories, um, either at graduation or to get an email of, you know, thanks and gratitude with bought our first house and, you know, now married, expecting our first child. Like David said, I mean, that's the reward. That's what we are all getting up every morning to come and be recharged by. Again, just finding, again, value in the whole person. We have a chaplain that's part of the school who has married students, has done baptisms, and as PJ mentioned, Elevated. We just recently are working on a curriculum called Elevated Life. And today, our director of Elevated Life started to be a full-time, he's going to be full-time in this ministry. And that's the way I guess I can explain it is young life meets the trades. And again, that's our way of really trying to make the biggest impact we can in the time that we have. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for walking through that. And, you know, as we come nearer to a close, I've got one more question I really want to dig into a little bit. And we've got a bunch of entrepreneurs listening to the show. I think obviously a lot of them focus on technology and things like that. And uh, I don't mean to say you guys aren't, you're one of the most high tech campuses I've ever been to. And uh, some of the forward looking things you're looking at with virtual reality and things like that are quite staggering. But the core of your business is still around mechanical and trades, maybe things that a lot of people wouldn't think about if they were thinking about starting a company, if they were thinking about, you know, going off on an entrepreneurial journey. What's a few things you might encourage our listeners to think about the industry a little bit different, maybe as people that have been in it for 10 or 20 years and lived these stories of lives changed, of critical infrastructure maintained, forgotten jobs that change your everyday world. What might be some encouragements or some ways you would help people think about the sector, maybe a little different than they did before they started listening to this podcast? I think there's plenty of entrepreneurs within this space. You hit on it right there. You know, somebody who's in 20 years with an investor-owned utility or municipality, they're actually at a point where they could retire out with a pension and go ahead and start something different. Go ahead and do something, you know, that they've always dreamt of doing. We see a lot of our graduates, I'd say primarily on the communication side right now, because there seems to be a ton of movement and a ton of urgency in that area that will, you know, after 18 months, two years, they start a company. You know, they've got an understanding of the trade. They've got an understanding of, you know, the responsibility it takes to show up every day and to do what you say you're going to do and what you're being paid to do. And they'll take that chance and they'll start their own company, either for a long-term, you know, growth and to expand or to be disruptive and, you know, to sell to a larger company at some point. That's just a couple of the examples I'd say, you know, from an entrepreneurial mindset, how you can uh, look into these individuals in the trades. Yeah, awesome. I think the, the model that we have here is it's a working model. I mean, it works. And so we take something like a seven-week program for the communications, you know, the program that we have, the, the electrical 15 weeks, 
And in a short, compressed period of time, we really can get someone the proper skills they need to be efficient, to be productive on a crew and a trade. How many more areas can that be done as well? How much time is spent, wasted, maybe where in a more compressed and compact and similar type environment, you know, can we train up students? I mean, we're facing this right now with the linemen because you can't replace a 20-year lineman with a new one. You know, it's impossible to do that. So there's, I'm sure in a lot of industries, you're seeing people exit. How do you get that same amount of experience? And so figuring out how you can kind of compress that amount of time and intensify it and get an individual training and using technology is one of the ways that we're looking at is using technology to, to equip our students and the line professionals in a way that we can educate them faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. And when I hear your story, I just think it's such an amazing example of how stories told creatively can build a business. You know, you talked about how you put it on YouTube and 50,000 views and I've seen, you know, woodwalkers and I've seen other things you have put out that tell the story of what the job is. And, and I've heard, David, I've heard you talk before how you intentionally try to tell the story as one that's gritty and dirty and difficult to attract the right people, because you obviously don't want people coming to Trenton, Georgia, and then dropping out of the program when they realize they have to climb a 30-foot pole to be successful there. And uh, you've just done it so well. I want to wrap up for entrepreneurs. Just the business model is so amazing, what you've built that on average, you know, a seven-week program can result in a $50,000, a year job that a 16-week program can convert into a seventy-five dollars to $100,000 job is just really remarkable in today's age and just something for so many people to aspire to. And so just grateful for you all, grateful for the stories uh, that you continue to build every day. And as we come to a close, uh, one of the things we love to do is uh, to see how God's Word continues to live and breathe today. And so we love to see how God's Word can transcend between our guest and our listeners. And so we'd invite you now to share with us, you know, where God may have you. Uh, it could be in the season, could be one verse, could be a story from the Bible, uh, could be something you read today uh, that had an impact on your heart today. But if you wouldn't mind letting us in on that, it'd be a real gift. Yeah, so my life verse is uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And that, I feel like that's been a life verse that was given to me in college, and it just continued, God continued to show it to me. So I Kind of held on to that. And the big thing there is trusting in him. This is fairly recently, but I read a book, Mark Batterson, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And just confronting the challenges and confronting my fears in uncertainty. And it just brought me back to that verse of, of trusting in him because nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's around the corner. But ultimately, if I submit to the Lord and let him lead and guide, then it's going to work out. And it's not up to me, right? It's up to him. So I think that just, I've just found a lot of peace, a lot of peace in that. And you know that God's at work because I'm looking at some things that I just jotted down, put my thoughts towards, and, and right here it says, trust him. Um, and it's, it's not just about trusting him with everything, but submitting to him. Um, you know, David and I are in a, we're getting into a unique position as the business scales because we weren't mine workers. We're hiring subject matter experts that know more about the trades than we do, CFOs that know more about your finances than you do. So it's a matter of stewardship now and trusting him and seeking his wisdom to you know, keep your path and make your path straight. For me, it's kind of a, a parable that uh, I've looked at a hundred times, but my eyes were open to it 
just this year. Um, and it's the parable of the mustard seed that we see in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And, you know, Jesus talks about if you have the faith of a mustard seed, how small it is we always focus on, you know, and say to this mountain, you know, move from here to there. You know, you can accomplish these things. And the uncertainty that we've seen with, you know, the pandemic this year and just your own personal life, you know, my marriage submitting to him and having faith and trusting him in that and trusting in God's provision for my boys and just me as a, a leader, both at home and here, kept looking at that faith of a mustard seed. And it was only this year that I realized that, you know, we look at how little faith we need to please God. And in actuality, the mustard seed is the fastest growing of all the seeds. So if you put your faith in him, instantly you see that return. And that was one of the most eye-opening things for me this year. It's, you know, you don't have to just put your faith in him and wait, but he, he makes that promise that your faith can do great things, but his promise is even quicker than our ask. So I'd really say that, again, trusting him, like David said, and the fact that the moment that we put our faith in him, you know, he's taking care of the details and he's at work. One of the things that I'm going to leave everybody with is CJ and I both, number one, we need one of us for alignment, and uh, we're running a business built as a team. I mean, we have to rely on our team to make this work. And so, you know, there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of faith that comes for us running a business that's not necessarily our background. Number two is both of us have daily habits of closing our door, spending time in words, spending time in prayer. Every day we come into the office. And we have it marked off on our calendars and our staff knows what we're doing and we've shared with them that we're praying for you guys. We're praying for the students. We're praying for this company. We're praying for our hearts and our direction and where we're going. And I think we've made that just a routine. It's the standard. So I think just showing our team and our staff, and it just reminds us of how much we do need God. Amen, amen. can never end a better way than saying, how much do we need God? Amen, indeed. Thank you for taking us there. Thank you for sharing the story. I thank you for the work you guys wake up and do every day. I encourage everyone to go check out Woodwalkers. I encourage everyone to check out some videos we'll link to in the podcast. I personally found it eye-opening and just a window into a world that I didn't know existed and that is so important in the world. And so I just encourage everyone to take some time to do that for themselves. And my big lesson from this is the care and the love that you've shown in coming alongside a group of young people and showing them their dignity and giving them increased reason for the hope that they've got and being able to have a winsome witness and be able to show them how to be excellent and to do it in community and to love them and just to hear some of the stories of some of the backgrounds, just the way that you've been able to come alongside them and then celebrate the major achievements in their life. That Those types of stories and that type of commitment create a culture that is winsome and everybody wants to be a part of it. And so thanks for sharing the story. Grateful for you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for your time for having us on. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community. And we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, 
one that you're proud of, and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Mm-hmm.